Does the world seem uh, unsettled? Just a little. It's a little unsettled. Well, here's a question for you. Has the world ever been settled? You know, we uh, sometimes think times are stable. We sometimes think times are stable, but you know, they're really never stable, are they? Uh, the world is the world. We live in a fallen world, according to Scripture. And, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. In fact, we should be surprised if anything goes right. In fact, it's quite a remarkable thing that there is any kind of stability in human society at all. That is, of course, due to the influence of God. Even the Spirit of God is in the world helping to uh, keep things from getting just completely out of hand. And we anticipate a day in the future when the Spirit and in the church will actually depart from the world and chaos will reign and the world will become unsettled in a way we've never seen in the history of the world. In fact, that is God's judgment in the end of the world is to let the world go. And when God lets the world go, it comes apart at the seams. We all have a natural desire for things to be settled, to have peace, a lack of trouble, and yet it seems the very nature of things, the very nature of human society and even the natural world can be unsettled and often is. This morning we're coming to, uh, well, I, I think we're going to come to the end of John chapter 14. And so I just want to read this text to you. Okay. I have it right here on my little device. I'm sure. I still can't make myself prefer this to an actual Bible, <laughs> except that it takes up a lot less space up here. And, you know, this is supposed to be quicker, but I would have been there by now if I had the actual Bible. I shouldn't say this isn't an actual Bible, of course, because it is. In John chapter 14, We're going to sort of pick up kind of where we left off a couple weeks ago. Oh, by the way, many thanks to Angelo for uh, speaking last week, a message that is extremely fitting in the context of our study of the book of John about the nature of the love of God, because the love that Jesus is preaching in this upper room discourse, this final word to the disciples before he returns to the Father by way of the cross, 
this last speech, this last lesson, that love of God is the love he has in mind when he says, if anyone loves me, that word there is agape. And so it's a love we choose, but it's also a love that responds So we read this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And that expression, we'll make our home with him. You know, Jesus, at the beginning of this talk, he mentioned a home. Do you remember? It's been several weeks ago since we talked about it. But he said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many homes, dwelling places. And here he's saying, we'll come. I'm going to the Father, but if you love me, you'll keep my word and my Father will love you and my Father and I will come to you and make our home with you. And so there's a future home and there's a present home. There's a future home when we go to live in the home of the Father and there's a present life today in which the Father, God, and the Son come to make their home in us. And so we become the very temple of God. And that temple is described in the scripture as each believer as a temple and the church, the body of believers together as a temple. We become the dwelling place of God. Even today, that is the case. So he goes on, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The word, that's singular now. He said, whoever doesn't love me does not keep my words. And then he says, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And this reminds me of chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. God made everything through that word, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that is Christ himself. And Christ himself is the speech of God, the word of God, present with the disciples in that room when he said these words, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The Father speaks by sending the Son. This is some heavy-duty theology right here. And he says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So, you know, there's a type of word-keeping, a type of commandment-keeping that's just by sort of force of will, that sort of pharisaical obedience that says, God said this, so I will do this. And it doesn't matter whether anyone loves anybody as long as we do what the commandment says. But Jesus says, no, you're not really keeping my word if it's not motivated by love. If it isn't a return, a reflection of the great love 
of God that is demonstrated by the cross of Christ and poured out in the heart of a believer by the presence of the very Holy Spirit of God in the believer, which is, of course, the way in which he comes, he and the Father come and make their home in us is by the presence of the Spirit. And he says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm here, except he doesn't just say while I'm here. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Uh, that's not a really the translation I want because the word for his being with us is the word dwell. Like I will come and make my home with you. Like I will dwell in you. It's this little word, it's a fantastic word in the New Testament, it's the word meno, M-E-N-O, meno, and it means to stay, like you live in a place, to reside, and it can mean just to continue to do something, or it can mean to live in a place, like if you say, where do you, where do you live, and I say, I live in Kralendike. I would use this word dwell, I dwell there, that's my home. And we're going to really study this word a lot more when we get to chapter 15 because that's where Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in that word abide is this word, meno, dwell, live in, abide, stay. And he says, I've been staying with you, and I've been speaking these things while I've been staying with you. These things I have spoken to you while I am dwelling with you. Oh. And the word with is not the regular word for with. It's the word para. Para. P-A-R-A. It means beside. While well, I've been dwelling beside you. Well, that's, that, that's nice. Not just with, next to. Oh, and para is the beginning of the word paraclete, which is the next word out of Jesus' mouth, but the helper, the paraclete, the one alongside you, the one called to be beside you the comforter, the encourager, the helper, the admonisher, the Holy Spirit. The helper, he's saying, I've been beside you, but he'll be beside you. The Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. The paraclete. Think of it. He said, I'm going to the Father, and when I get to the Father, I'm going to ask him, and he's going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit will come, and that's the same as us coming. And the Spirit dwelling in you is the same as us making our home in you, you Christian and you body of Christians. The Spirit is sent by the Father in my name, and he will carry on speaking my word. That's, this is how Jesus says it. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. You disciples in the room, he'll help you to remember everything I've said to you. 
How do we know today what Jesus said to John and the other apostles? How do we know? Because the Spirit worked in them to remember it all and to write it down in the text of Scripture, and so I can read the very words of Christ and the ministry of the Spirit in the, wor in the lives of the apostles who wrote it down, give me access to what Jesus said. Wow. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything I've said to you. So the Spirit comes alongside the way Christ has been alongside. And more so, because the Spirit, in the, in the Spirit, Christ comes to actually occupy me. <laughs> that is crazy. Crazy. The living God occupies you, Christian. He lives in you. You know, I think that maybe most of what it takes to live as a Christian is to simply remember that. The Spirit of God is here. Wherever you go, he goes because he's in you. Whatever you do, he do Oh, my goodness. Whatever you do, you involve him in. Oh. You know, in, in Corinthians, Paul uses this idea to uh, admonish certain people in the Corinthian church that their uh, sexual misbehavior is a really bad idea. Because they say, he says, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And if you, uh, if you engage in this behavior, that is not fitting for temples of the Holy Spirit. It's like if we, someone came in here with a can of spray paint and spray painted a big old obscenity on this wall. We would all be offended that some that this place we regard as holy has been profaned, but you're that place. And so Paul says, "Look, when when you sin, it's a profanity of the temple." Oh my goodness! Uh, so maybe just remembering the very, the mere fact that the very Spirit of God dwells in me will help me. Of course, that's where the power comes from to live righteously as well, isn't it? He reminds me of the work of Christ. Well, here's the thing about the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit is Christ-centered. He'll teach you to remember everything I've said. You know, several times in the book of John, John has observed, you know, when Jesus said this back in chapter 2, he says, you know, when Jesus said this, we didn't really know what he was talking about. Now that the resurrection has happened and the Spirit has come, now we understand it. He said that in chapter 2. He said it again in chapter 12. He's going to say it again in chapter 20. The ministry of the Spirit is Christ-centered. Christ is the revelation of the Father. 
oh, so this is a Trinity thing. What the Spirit does in me is he enables me to see the revelation of the Father in the person of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. That is the work of the Spirit to continue to speak to me the word of Christ. And not just the words of Christ, the word that is Christ. The gospel, the, the message of the Son of God sent by the Father to give himself the sacrifice for sin, to restore me to, to the fellowship, the great eternal fellowship of the triune God. The joyful fellowship of the triune God. It is the work of the Spirit to open my eyes to see these things, to perceive them for real and to put my faith in them and to enjoy the salvation, the redemption, the love of God in Christ. It's very Christ-centered. It is entirely Christ-centered. D.A. Carson wrote in his commentary on this text, the work of the Spirit is to fill out the revelation brought by Jesus himself. How do I see God? I see God in Christ by the Spirit. That's how. That is why when I pray a lot of the times, I'll use that expression, in Christ by the Spirit. My standing to pray to have any fellowship with the Father whatsoever, any knowledge of God at all, is something that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and received in Christ. When I come before God in prayer, I come in Christ by the Spirit. That's how. And that is the work of the paraclete, the one who is called to my side, to your side, to our side, the body. This is operational not just in me, individual Christian, but in us, body of Christians, body of Christ. And one of the things that God delivers to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit is what he says next. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. We could ask the question, well, how does he do that? And the answer is, he's, the Father sends the Spirit in the name of the Son. That's how. How is peace delivered? By the Spirit. By the Spirit who directs my attention to the Son in which I see the revelation of the Father. The Trinity Always, always the Trinity. Shalom would be the Hebrew word that would be used here. And when Jesus, in, in this text, it's the Greek word for peace. But as a greeting like this, peace be with you. You know, this is a common greeting in the practice of the church, right? And quite frequently in church services, we don't really do this here like probably we should. We turn to one another and we say, peace be with you. We're just quoting this. Peace be with you and also with you. It's the greeting of shalom. Now, shalom is a big, fat word. It means so much. Shalom. 
In fact, one uh, theologian has defined sin as the violation of shalom. Sin is when things are not the way they should be. And shalom is broken. Well, that tells you something about what shalom is. Shalom is things as they should be. It's the peace of wholeness, of integrity, of being sound. You know, here lately, we're worried about a disease. Do you ever worry about whether you're, you have a disease or not? I found that the older I get, the more I worry about whether I might have some disease or another. I wonder if I, I don't even want to think about going to the doctor because I might find out I have a disease. Well, that is really stupid. I recognize that's a stupid way of thinking. You should go to the doctor if you're worried about having a disease. But I don't want to know if I have it, but I'm worried about, is something wrong with me? That is not shalom. I'm, that anxiety is the opposite of shalom. Shalom is confidence that I am well and that all things are as they should be in and around me. Peace. That's the sort of peace Jesus is talking about here. And he says, peace I leave with you, disciples. How does he leave it? In the person of the Holy Spirit. It's being sound, it's being complete, it's being well, it's being secure. It's the peace of everything being in place, set right as it should be. Does anyone want to argue with Jesus now? He says, peace I leave with you. I want to have a little argument, I think. Well, where is it? Have you read Galatians chapter 5, verse 22? You have. You might not recognize the reference. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first thing? You know it. Love. Oh, that's what we've been talking about. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that what Jesus says right in this text? He says, look, when the Spirit comes, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. My Father will respond to your love with a greater deeper understanding of his love. How does he do that? The ministry of the Spirit in you. And then by the Spirit's operation in you, you love him and you love him better and you love him more and you obey his word more and you express his love by loving the people around you and the Spirit works the fruit of the Spirit love into your life. And you are in the upward spiral of love, God's love, agape love, chosen love. Fruit of the Spirit, love. What's the second one? Joy. So the spiritual life is happy. Now, when I say happy, I don't mean the world's kind of happy. You know, that we had a good party last night and we're going to pay tomorrow kind of happy. I mean the sort of deep down joy that is the experience of the Christian because everything is settled by the cross of Christ. If you notice that reality and the fact that it applies to you personally, you are going to be happy. 
whatever else is happening around you. And the third thing is peace. Love, joy, peace. Well, and then there's several more after that. But what we'll see here in the book of John is he started with love and now he's talking about peace. And you know what he's going to talk about in the next chapter? Joy. I'm telling you this so that the joy I have, you will have. How? By the work of the Spirit in the heart of the Christian and in the body, the fellowship of Christians. That's how. By the ministry of the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. That's all Jesus has said here. I've spoken. The Father has spoken by me. And the Spirit will cause us all to know that revelation of God in Christ by the Spirit. And so we will experience love, peace, joy, and the rest of the fruit. Jesus calls this my peace, just like in chapter 15, he's going to say my joy. You're not just that you're going to be a joyful person, you will possess his joy. You will possess his peace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says, He himself is our peace. Romans 5 verse 1, Since we have been justified freely by his grace, we have peace with God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that famous Christmas, Christmas verse, Ye shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Philippians chapter 4, when we are, it says, Be anxious for nothing in everything. Give with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, it cannot be explained the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus how does the peace of God operate in Christ by the spirit and this is the promise of Christ he says I leave you my peace I give you my peace he says you know it's not the not like the world gives just like we just mentioned the joy of the Lord is not the sort of joy the world enjoys, which is not even real. It's artificial, and it's a, it's a paint job on a pig. That worldly joy. I mean, we're all capable of enjoying it, but it's superficial and not lasting and not permanent and will die. But the joy of the Lord is permanent and deep and does last and will grow and will grow to fullness of joy in the end. When we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. That's not going to be an unhappy experience. That's going to be full of joy. In fact, it is the joy of seeing him that makes us like him.
Peace, like the world gives, you know, Jeremiah talks about this several times. Jeremiah says, they're always yelling, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Does that remind you of anything? That reminds me of all politics that I've ever known my whole life. Where the worldly, the leaders of this world are shouting, peace, peace, and there is no peace. And I don't mean to denigrate the idea that we might, you know, stop fighting each other in horrible ways in some location in the world. Yes, that, that's good if we can pull it off, but, you know, we never can really pull it off. I might quit, I might quit launching missiles at you and still hate you. And if you give me a good excuse, I'll start launching missiles again. This is the sort of peace the world has. You know, for the longest time we had two superpowers. Two superpowers. The United States and the Soviet Union. This is the sort of peace we had. You know what we called it. You're familiar with this expression. Mutually assured destruction. That's the sort of peace the world has. We both have really big guns, so we dare not shoot them at each other. That is the phoniest of all pieces. And Jesus says, I don't give you that kind of peace. I don't give you the sort of peace you might temporarily get with the neighbor who hates you and you hate him because he hates you. And ugh. I don't give you a temporary cover story or solution and I don't give you each a big enough gun that you're too afraid to shoot at each other. I don't give you that kind of peace. I give you my peace. And what is the sort of peace Jesus has? Jesus has shalom. Shalom. Jesus has the peace of wholeness. You see, Jesus is an absolutely full of integrity, whole human being. Son of God made man. There's absolutely nothing missing in him. He is 100% settled. He's so settled, he will endure the cross for our salvation. That's the sort of peace he has. And that's the sort of peace he delivers. And that's the sort of peace I possess at this minute. And I will come to know it like I do not know it now one day. And Jesus will rule the world and this peace will prevail. Because he will restore the world, even the creation. And so shalom is restored. <clears throat> so, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. <laughs> I think he's, uh, like, how does that fit in here? I think he's looking at them. He's looking at these 12 disciples, announcing that he's going to give them this peace, 
this peace that surpasses understanding, this shalom that settles everything will be fine. And you'll have peace because you will be really, really, really okay. And, and he says, now let her, don't be troubled. <coughs> because they are troubled. <coughs> and he says, why? He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You did hear me say to you, I'm going away. And I am coming to you. And that's the trouble. He's going away. They can't get their heads out of it. He's going away. And he's said, he's given them everything they need. All they need to know, he's told them, I'm sending the Spirit. I'm not leaving you orphans. I'll be with you. We're coming. Both the Father and I will come to you and make our homes with you. There's... And then he looks at him and he goes, look, I'm telling you, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. That word troubled means to be stirred up or disturbed. And then he says, and don't be afraid. Now, be afraid is a little bit stronger word. It literally means don't be cowards. Don't be timid. Don't be, we'd use this word these days, don't be chickens. In other words, don't be troubled, don't be afraid, is the same as saying this, be calm and courageous. Live in the peace I give you. You see, Jesus is calm and courageous because he's whole and he has this shalom which he's giving to us. And so he says, what's the right response? Well, the wrong response would be to be worried, upset, disturbed, or timid, afraid, chickens, cowards. Well, you know, you, you're afraid because you see something dangerous or something you perceive to be a threat to you. Do you see any of that in the world? It's everywhere. You can't miss it, right? There's danger. I mean, everything's a threat. But don't be afraid. You have the Spirit of God. God Almighty, who made the stars up there that are so far away you can't even see them. And he made them to shed light on the earth. I don't know when it's going to get here. It's a long ways off still. But that's his purpose. His purpose is you. And that God who made all those things, who knows how many grains of sand are on this beach and on every beach, that God dwells in you. What was it you were afraid of? That God gave his son a sacrifice for your sin. What was troubling you? You see, when we come together, it's to remember these things and to experience again the shalom of Christ. Don't be troubled. 
be calm, be courageous, and rejoice. And he's going to say more about rejoicing in a second. But he goes on right here and he says, uh, you heard me say I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going away. He's saying, you're looking troubled that I'm going away, but if you loved me, you'd rejoice that I'm going away because the Father's greater than I. I'm going to the Father. And we might remember, going to the Father is going to the cross. The path back to God, back to the Father, is through the cross. And all of this, Jesus calls the, His glorification. And He's going to close this with this prayer, where He says, glorify Me now with the glory I had with you before the foundation of the world. So, for the time being, Jesus in His incarnation is, is well, one of us. The Father is greater than I. And he anticipates being restored to that glory, that shared glory with God the Father. This, this passage is full of uh, mystery, but he's saying, look, if you loved me, you'd be happy for me. Because I'm going back to the Father. So the correct response is to be calm, to be full of courage and to rejoice in the glory of God by, by the work of Jesus. To rejoice in His return to the Father where every day, the Scripture says, He ever lives to make intercession for me and you. And He is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And in fact, my position is there seated according to Ephesians 2. He has seated me with him at the right hand of the Father. I'm in Christ, raised from the dead and seated at the right hand, even today. That's my status. Even today, I possess this shalom. Jesus says, uh, I don't have a lot more to say to you guys. That's what he says next. I will no longer talk much with you. I don't have much more to say. The devil's on his way. Now, we think he's talking about the devil and Judas. I mean, the devil in the person of Judas, who is on his way to betray Christ at this very moment. And so, you know, the time is now. So I don't have a lot more time to talk to you, he says, because the devil's coming. And then he makes it something clear, though. He says, he has no claim on me. It's not that the devil is going to get me. It's not that I belong to the devil. It's not that the devil has any hold on me. But the devil is the instrument of God in the sacrifice of the Son of God. He says, he has no hold on me. I do what the Father commands. I do what the Father commands so that the world may know that I love the Father. 
Do you see how he's applying the very same principle he taught us to himself? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He says, because in order to show everyone, in order to show the whole wide world the depth of my love for God, the Father, I am on my way to the cross. I am obeying what the Father sent me to do, to demonstrate my love. Now, we've noticed many times already how Jesus on the cross demonstrates the love of God for us. But Jesus says something else here. Did you hear it? The work of Christ on the cross demonstrates the love of the Son of God for the Father God. And that actually is primary. The glory of God in the cross is primary, not our salvation. In fact, our salvation, according to the book of Ephesians, is to serve the purpose of the glory of His grace. It's about the glory of God, not about us. We are the, the instrument that brings God glory. And Christ says, I, I will die for you, I love you, I will die for you, but I'm really doing it for the love of the Father. And this is the upward spiral demonstrated in Christ. Just so you notice, okay? When he says, I will go to the cross so that the world will know that I love the Father. His love for the Father spins off love for you and me. It is gener his love for us is generated by his love for the Father. Well, that makes total sense, in fact. That our creation in the first place is this. The holy love of the triune God spins off in the creation of human beings that will exhibit that love. And in the work of the cross, all of those things are made real and restored. Jesus' love for the Father generates his love for us, and that saves us, and that brings us peace. <clears throat> so, I want to exhort you as we close, to dwell in the peace that surpasses understanding. What I want you to notice is this peace has been left for us by Christ. And it is actually delivered to us in the indwelling Holy Spirit. In other words, you have it. You have it. You do not have to get it. You already possess his shalom. Now, I am well aware, because you and me were the same, that I do not live 
in a state of constant awareness of this possession. Do you? <laughs> well, I hope so. I mean, I, so the, the thing is, I want to live in this peace. And I think I live in this peace by following the direction of the Spirit to give my attention to Christ. And to remember as often as I can and whenever I need to remember, my life is settled in Him. That is the actual reality. There's plenty of trouble around me. There can even be trouble in my body. There can be trouble. But my life is settled. And that's the final word on me and you if you are in Christ. The final word is that it is finished. And so shalom is present. And my work is to allow... Uh, it's hard to find the right word for what I'm doing because I'm not really doing anything. I'm letting it happen. I'm letting the Spirit minister to my soul the word of the gospel of Jesus. And when I come together with the body and I'm encouraged by your love and by our singing together and our focus on the word and words of Christ, we are reminded, oh, right, Jesus, peace. And you walk out of here in peace. And then try to fo stay focused. <laughs> and if you lose focus, call somebody and get them to preach Christ to you. Wait, you know Christ. You can preach it to yourself if you need to. It's better if someone else does because, you know, you, we get messed up sometimes. We need each other for this. We need to come to church. We need to come to church however we can. Gather for the encouragement of the gospel. And that is the whole thing. And as we experience this peace, we also experience that other magnificent fruit of the Spirit, love. And I think it's going to be hard to avoid joy. And all the rest. Those are the three Jesus is going to focus on in this little talk. So let us join together. Let us encourage one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. He has left us his peace. Wow. Let us enjoy it together. Father, we give you thanks for your work sending the Son of Christ. We give you thanks for his work. The work of the cross that settles everything that reconciles us to you. And Lord, we give you thanks for the work of the Spirit that enables us to see any of this and all of this. Father, I pray that as a church, 
each of us and all of us together would grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in the encouraging ministry of the that paraclete, that comforter, helper, encourager, teacher, so that our focus in life would always be centered on you. Thank you for all of these great provisions of your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.